Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for listening to SST on Apple Podcasts, App Spotify, and now on YouTube. We got some baseball to talk about. We also got some football to talk about because, people, it's August 17th now as you listen to this or beyond, and football is knocking at the door. Hard knock started. That's always the initial, like, oh, my God, it's here moment for myself. That's here. Preseason games are here. Fantasy drafts are arriving if you didn't start already. And that means it's time to talk football. But first, we got some baseball to talk. And of course, first time, long time, <laughs> Pat Boyle. What's up, my guy? It's been a minute. It has been a minute, dude. I mean, we're going to start kicking up here, though. I know you and I are getting ready to run it back for another exciting season of football on SST. Talking Jets and Giants, talking national weekly bets. So, I, uh, I'm chomping at the bit, man, two times a week, getting ready to talk some football. I am ecstatic. I cannot wait. And you know what? In the past, like, two or three days, we've had, like, 75 degrees in our area over here in the Hoboken, Jersey City, greater New York area, whatever. And it, it just reminded me, gave me that little, that little taste of fall, a uh, Sunday where you got nothing else to do but just loaf around on the couch and watch football. Oh, man, I am I am ecstatic. I'm not trying to rush summer too much, but I am ready for some football. I'm getting into the fantasy. I'm getting into my predictions and all that jazz. It's here, baby. It's right around the corner. Yeah, no, I got some time next week down the shore with the family. But once that hits, once that's over and it's the last mm. week of August, I mean, it's it's full gear ahead. And I know we got some exciting seasons going on right now with the Yankees and the Mets. Maybe not so much over the last week or so. Uh, for the Yanks and the Mets, you know, back-to-back disappointing nights in Atlanta with a couple of injuries, which we'll talk about in a minute. But for the most part, I mean, these teams are still World Series contenders. So that coupled with the fact that the Giants and the Jets are nowhere near playoff contenders, at least in my mind, which we will also talk about, you know, not necessarily as jacked up for New York football, and we really haven't had any reason to be in the last couple of years, but just football in general, especially on a national scope, I can't wait. And I'm really going to start to feel the full weight of it. As you said, hard knocks. We're seeing football on TV with preseason football now. We're almost there, man. We're right around the corner. Yeah, and with uh, with the NFL in general, I've said this before, I'm as much of an NFL fan as I am a Giants fan. Like, I can't say that about MLB at all. I'm a much bigger Mets fan than I am an MLB fan. I would even say I'm a bigger Yankees follower than I am a MLB follower, even though I'm not a Yankee fan. I don't particularly root for them, obviously. I don't root against them that much either. Whatever, you get it. Uh, NFL is the unique thing where I care about the league possibly more than I care about my own team. That's how much of a stranglehold they have on people like you and I between gambling, fantasy, the pure action entertainment that we get Sunday, Monday, Thursday. It's just a beautiful thing. And the great thing, too, with baseball and football being at the same time towards the end of the year there you can kind of work both. You kind of get the best of both worlds there. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Well, Thursday's a little hybrid, I guess. Friday, Saturday, you get your baseball fixes in. Sunday, you lock in for football. You watch your Mets. You watch your Yankees. It's You can't ask for much more. But, Pat, we're going off on the tangent too much. We're off the rails a little bit. Let's reel it back in because this will be a little bit of a shorter episode. That's Mets par for the course for us, though. <laughs> it is, and it's been a while, so it's even more par for the course. 
Um, but we'll talk Mets and Yankees, and then we'll talk some Jets and Giants. Maybe I'll ask you a quick off-the-cuff question about a random NFL team or an NFL at large question, uh, but that's the game plan. But right now, MLB and NFL is not the only thing we're excited about because college football is back. It's time to enjoy that Saturday tradition, the fun, and also the great offers from DraftKings Sportsbook. To celebrate the best time of year, right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any team and get $200 in free bets instantly, win or lose. You don't even have to be right, just bet $5 on any team and you get $200 in free bets. If that's not enough action, you can also place a same-game parlay for a shot at an even bigger payout. Just combine multiple bets, like which team will win, over, under, who will score first, maybe a player prop as well, and you can get a huge payout. I'm looking at that first weekend of college football, and I'm looking at Appalachian State plus two against North Carolina. Also, though, have you heard John Calipari talking about how Kentucky is a basketball school? He's right. But also the Kentucky football program, rightfully so, upset because they've been showing up, and they got Miami of Ohio that first weekend. They're minus 20 and a half. I think they roll and prove that Kentucky's a little bit of a football school too. DraftKings is also a safe, secure, and reliable site. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPM. Bet just $5 on college football and get $200 in free bets instantly. That's code TBPM only at DraftKings Sportsbook. 21 plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for terms and resources. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the Tennessee red line at 1-800-889-9789. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY at 467-369. One per new customer, minimum $5 deposit and wager $200 issued as eight $25 free bets. So, Pat, I do want to ask you first, though, because this will set the tone kind of for me uh, with this Mets and Yankees conversation. You and I have both been at The Fan and uh, CBS Sports Radio recently. I was there twice this past weekend. You're there more often than I am, so you've been there a bunch and at CBS Sports Radio. What What's the pulse? What's the What's the big thing that you're hearing that kind of gets you going, right? Like, because you're not a Yankees fan. You watch the Yankees as much as most fans, I would say. You understand the team as much as most fans, but you're not living and dying with every pitch because it's not your team. However, you're listening to these people on Twitter and the radio and the callers and our, our colleagues and hosts and whatever you're hearing them talk at nauseum about this team. So I want to ask you, what's a sticking point for you? What's something that makes you stop stop what you're doing and check that Yankee fan, check that host, check that caller, whatever it may be, when the Yankees are being discussed here? Yeah, I, I think it's the fact that they are still 27 games above 500 now after Tuesday night's loss to Tampa Bay. The offense has scored what nine runs in the last seven games it feels like they they haven't scored a run in weeks even though even then you know last night they get basically um you know an infield you know single where they're going contact with Ben attendee and that's the only run they score um and you know the sky's falling the season's over this team was they they peaked in in June they're not they're not built for October everybody sucks fire Boone fire Cashman Cole sucks even though he's pitched back-to-back gems, and it's got to be relax. Just you got to simmer down. You got to settle in. It is the middle of August. They still have a nine-game lead in the AL East. It might be eight now, I think, after last night's loss. Um, but 
I mean, oh my goodness. Settle down. The fact that this team has half of the guys in the lineup that are going to be hitting in October hitting right now should tell you above anything else, everything you need to know right now. This team is still a World Series contender just as much as they were in June. And yes, obviously if they're playing like this, if they play like that in October, yeah, they're not going to go anywhere. We know that. But again, the middle of the order, the heart of the order, three, four, and five right now, or four, five, and six are all hurt. They're all hurt. Stanton is out. He's, he's starting his rehab stint, what I would expect to be at the end of this week. I would be surprised if you don't see him by next Friday and 10 days from now. And even that, I know, you know, people are saying, get back now. What is he doing? You know, oh, he's, he's tracking pitches. How can he, how is he not ready yet? We, I mean, if you're a Yankee fan, you know this by now. They're super ultra conservative with getting guys back. And as much as you or your fandom and your emotionality takes you above that, you got to rein it in. Um, you know, Rizzo just came back from the, you know, a little four or five game absence from the back spasms he was having. So he's cooled off. He was red hot before that. He is a guy that has forever been with more at bats. When he starts playing again every day consistently, he gets hot. He's going to be fine. I'm not worried about Anthony Rizzo at all. Carpenter is the big one. That's the most under, you know, Stanton obviously is the biggest one, but Carpenter was a huge underrated blow when he went out because of how he, I said it, he was Barry Bonds. He was Barry Bonds reincarnated the way he was hitting for this team. I mean, over a full season, the numbers he was putting up with the Yankees, 15 home runs and almost 40 RBIs. Over a full season, it was on, he was on pace for like 70 home runs. He was on pace for judge numbers. That's how incredibly he was hitting. So you have those two guys out right now. I mean, it's no surprise and that, that they're struggling offensively. That, LeMahieu now is hurt as well. There's another one who you're hoping they don't have to put him on the IL and he can come back. But, you know, now basically for the last couple of weeks, whether it's been Rizzo or LeMahieu and Stanton has been the constant guy that's been out, this lineup's not at 100%. You know, and, and, and on top of that, Cashman, yeah, I'm not saying, like, that there's no concerns at all. I'm definitely concerned. Obviously, you are when they're playing the way they've played now, where they're playing, like, you know, 400, 375 winning baseball percentage over the last month. Yes, it's concerning. But am I worried for October? No, because this isn't the lineup you're going to see in October. So you got to relax. Um, now, look, if Toronto, if the Blue Jays come in and take three out of four, or dare I say it, sweep them this weekend – yeah, you can set off the panic alarms because then that division lead is going to be down to like four or five. But if they're not there yet, as bad as they've played, I'd rather them go through this adversity now, um, even with all the guys that are hurt, uh, than this happen with two weeks left in the season going into the playoffs. And, you know, the fact that you still have Aaron Hicks getting consistent bats, mm. at bats for this team, like I said, I'm not, you know, I'm not absolving everybody of, of their wrongdoings, but that's on Brian Cashman. The fact that he let Joey Gallo stay on the team all the way to the tread deadline, the fact that Aaron Hicks is still getting at-bats consistently here and now in the middle of August. Yes, there are some problems they need to work out, uh, but this team's not blowing the division lead. You know, I'll put my, my, I'll put my parents' house, I'll put my apartment up for sale. Oh. <laughs> that's yes. like, don't yes. them into it. <laughs> I'm putting, no, I'm, yeah, I'm bringing the parents into it. I'm putting their house up for sale. The Yankees are not blowing this AL East lead. That is preposterous. Mm. Uh, that would be the most epic collapse probably of all time. Um, so well, they're going to win the AL They're going to have, have the them check with the Mets lost. Uh, where did they lose to the Phillies that one year? Yeah, and that was, was it worse like than that. There, were, there was what, eight games with eight games with what, 25 left to play? Something like Nine that, games yes. with 25 left yeah. to play. That was catastrophic. But the, if the I'm Yankees blow this there. division lead, it would be even worse. It so, would be. It would, and they're going to be okay. The, the pitching has been terrific lately. 
the bullpen outside of Clay Holmes um, and Alberta Brayu for the most part. Again, that's you know you want to have concerns for October. That's that's the one place. You know, not the lineup because guys are hurt and those aren't guys that are going to be out the rest of the year. The bullpen with missing Michael King and Chad Green and you don't know if Zach Britton's going to be pitching in October. That's a legit concern for October. The starting rotation is fine. Montas bounced back after the disastrous first start where, you know, he's coming off the bereavement list with his mother-in-law dying and, and hadn't, you know, basically hadn't pitched in over a week and had to change teams. So all that Montas is fine. Garrett Cole's going to be fine. Nestor Cortez, I'm not worried about his durability. You know, he still looks great even in the middle of August where he's pitched more so than ever. So, you know, I know that's a bit of a long response there, Pete, but my main thesis there is that the Yankees are fine. They're going to win the AL East. Let this team go through their struggles now, and the sky is not falling. The sky is going to rise. The sun will rise on Wednesday morning if you're listening right now. The sun is up, all right? The sun didn't go anywhere. The Yankees are going to be fine, um, you know, again. And if I had to draw a line in the sand, if they get swept by Toronto this weekend, yeah, then you can start, then you can start pulling your hair off. Mm. All right, so on to the Mets. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm going to talk about the Yankees though. But no, so I have a couple things to to talk about there because it's very interesting and and it's something that I almost forget about until I get back into the groove of being at the fan. I was there twice this weekend. It's like, yeah, yeah. My friends complain about Aaron Boone. You know, my friends complain about Cashman. They complain about Hicks. And then you get back into the old stomping grounds of hearing callers who are really, really passionate and care so much about this team. You got to fire Boone. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to bunt more. And I'm like, oh, 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 let's calm down here. All right. Because that, that's where I start to agree with you a lot here, Pat. And I heard somebody on Twitter today, uh, when my buddies tweeted, did the Yankees peak too soon? Yeah, absolutely. But then I argued, not argued, but I just said right back, they also slumped on a good time, right? Like they slumped early enough to get back on track. They peaked so early. They always say you can't, uh, win a season in April, but you can lose it in April. The Yankees took care of business all the way through the midsummer here, right? They had a bad streak. They're having a bad streak. They're still playing ugly baseball right now. But like you like you just said, the injuries, all that stuff is super legit. It's not a reason to feel bad about your your chances once you get healthy. It's a, be, it's a reason to get nervous that you're not going to get healthy, right? So if your concern is these guys actually coming back because Stanton's had issues over, the, over his career or Rizzo's getting older or LeMahieu's getting older, Sure, that's a thing, but we don't really know the the truth in that, right? So if you're looking at what we know and what we know about these injuries for the players who are supposed to come back, there's reason to get comfortable and to say, okay, you know, let's keep this lead here, nine, 10 games of the Rays and the Blue Jays. And if it gets to five, all right, we'll start to get real panicky out here. Like you said, if they get swept by Toronto. But my one thing on Matt Carpenter here, and I almost hate to say this, but is it possible that, he died a hero before living long enough to become the villain. <laughs> I don't think so. Um, you know, obviously <laughs> there is there is the potential that he comes back after not you know swinging a bat for for two months. But you know, he came to the Yankees barely getting any action, right? Like he was what in AAA with with Texas when he got DFA'd. You know, he, he was gone from St. Louis, so he wasn't. It's not like he was hitting well before he got to the Yankees. He wasn't doing anything. So, um, of course, there's a possibility he comes back off the IL and can't hit. Uh, right. But at the same time, I, I love that question that you posed. Did he die the hero before he could even become the villain? Right. I don't think he'd have, you know, he I, I think when you have two big villains, like like Joey Gallo in the beginning of the season, and now the second half, it's Aaron Hicks who's the big villain. There's not enough room for another villain in Matt Carpenter, unless he goes oh, 0 for 20 in October. He was full icing on the cake all the way through and through, but it's just a funny question to pose. And, and in reality, it should have been something that 
you know, we could have realized earlier and said, wow, this team is really relying on Matt Carpenter. And if he wasn't on this incredible pace uh, per at bat for himself here, what does this team look like? What does the last few months look like here for the Yankees? Are they as good as we thought they, or I should say, would we ever have thought they were that good if Carpenter didn't just carry for weeks, right? Not that he carried by himself because we know what Judge is doing. Like, it's unbelievable. But if if Matt Carpenter, you take away half those home runs, you take away and put him at a at a modest to good uh, numbers uh, for his average and OPS and all that stuff, that could be a few wins. Like, that's not a small thing with how important he was to that lineup. Maybe we could have realized sooner that it wasn't sustainable. You know, that Carpenter was the second best player on this offense that we thought was so amazing. Turns out it's Judge and a couple guys who occasionally get hits. Yeah. Yeah, that's valid. But, you know, at the same time, you could do that for every team and even within the Yankees. You know, you could say you could play what if with Judge. What what if Judge wasn't having a historic season? How much worse would they be? Also like a top three player in the league. You know what I mean? Yeah, but did you expect him to have on pace for 65 home runs and 130 ribs? Fair point. You know, we could also say, what if... You could say it with the Mets too, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, what if if Lindor was having the same season he was having last year? What if Jeff McNeil didn't come back to being Jeff McNeil this year? So, I mean, again, you could play what ifs. um, And I I look to the fact that, you know, now the Yankees are going to be without Giancarlo Stanton from the time he left to the time he comes back for a month and a half. Uh, They've missed Rizzo for a couple of spurts. um, and, And look at the guys that have underperformed so badly. You know, look at look at how Glaber Torres has been so up and down this year. Look at how Josh Donaldson has been so up and down this year. You know, you could say that those guys should be having better seasons than they are. Um, so, yeah, you know, again, Carpenter's a huge blow to this team, but I just I, I don't want to get too far down in the minutia of okay, the Yankees could be even worse if not oh, if not for Matt Carpenter, if not for this guy or that guy. I look at the fact that the team they had coming into the year and the team they have now, when healthy, is exponentially better. If they're still rolling out Joey Gallo and Aaron Hicks every day, um, <laughs> then, we, then we got a problem. But they've they've definitely made improvements, bringing in Ben Benintendi, getting Trevino even right before the season began. If we had a full season of Kyle Higashioka, he'd be really worried about this team, this offense, mm-hmm. and the catching. Absolutely, and you know what? Don't 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 speak too fast on my boy Joey Gallo over there hitting some home runs out in LA. <laughs> Can you believe that? I mean, it's honestly one of the more obvious things that's happened. Uh, that he left the Yankees and hit a couple home runs and like his, his average is above 200. And it's just like classic. It's so classic. And somehow Yankee fans turn that into like a positive for themselves. Oh, like we're so special that this player couldn't handle us. Like, okay, whatever. I don't really care. Like whether that's true or not, I can't argue for or against it. Gallo was freaking terrible for the Yankees. I get it. But now he's in LA just hitting home runs again. And it's hilarious. It makes me laugh. It really does. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, let's let's not get, you know, too carried away. It's not like Joey Gallo has turned into, you know, an MVP caliber player or an all-star. I mean, he's, he's, his OPS, yes, it's, it's what, double what it was with the Yankees? Uh, but it's a very, very – yeah, no, it's a very small sample size. He's hitting 263. Yes, he has hit two home runs. Um, but, you know, that's, that's the enigma. You know, we look back at Sonny Gray. You look back at other players – it was never going to work out in New York for Joey Gallo. It was never going to work out in New York with Sonny Gray. They went to other places and they performed better. Um, you know, Sonny Gray was an all-star. That's that, you know, you want to make that argument? Sure. But Joey Gallo, a couple of games, where he's got what? A one home run off the bench and a solo shot. And the other one, 
he, he's not he's not turning heads just yet. You know, the Dodgers yeah. are going to win with or without Joey Gallo. He's got five hits. It's not that big a deal. It's just funny because you know every single time that he hits a home run, Yankee fans somewhere are getting sent that on Twitter. Or they're getting the group chat like ha ha ha, and it's just it's just fun. Uh, but and no, that's he, and that brings won. it back to the whole argument, like how much he was, you know crushed by booze like dude rightly so like did you oh, really yeah. expect oh, and you're going up there striking out 50 times in 65 at bats or in a one month span did you really expect fans to like to not boo you and now that you have a very small sample size of success with another team like they're not going to cheer you on I, it's just it's a clown show with him and the, the you know his comments oh it just feels so great to have people cheering for me yeah new york would have cheered for you if he actually yeah. actually fucking did anything <laughs> they really wanted you to do good man you know they weren't rooting against you from the beginning it was after you sucked when they started turning against you that's uh, you know what actually do you watch the show the boys by the way i do you do okay so now with your new hair you're giving me some homelander vibes I think you could pull it off. I got some Homelander vibes from you right now. It's That's like ling- live long enough to become the villain. Maybe I'm, I'm becoming the villain now. Yeah, I just saw that with Joey. Thinking of Joey Gallo's weird comments, I just saw you right there with the blonde hair now, and I just felt some Homelander over there. Not that you look like a psychopath. You don't. But if you wanted to try to manipulate your face to look psychotic, you pull it off. Uh, and if I want to start lasering lasering people's faces <laughs> off, you think I, maybe yeah. I could train myself to do that? Perhaps. If I believe if I believe hard enough, if Joey Gallo believed hard enough, he could hit 300. If I believe hard enough, I could become Homelander. <laughs> there we go. That's a that's a breakdown right there. Uh, but let's move on and talk some Mets here because I think it's the point is here for the Yankees. We got it. We understand they suck right now. They're playing bad baseball. That's not the team that it's going to be in two to four weeks. And there's time to figure it out. As long as that division lead doesn't go below five. Let's keep the panic button aware, but we won't hit it yet. Yeah. And, and one more thing too, you know, I, you know, what can you do? Like, I'm not just saying the team should just sit there and expect to break out of a slump. They've got to do something. So I, you know, Estevan Floreal, oh, I think it's going to get called up, you know, in terms of actual solutions. Yeah. Floreal is going to get called up. I think probably as early as today, Wednesday, if not by Thursday, he's going to get some at bats. I think it's, I think we've hit the breaking point with Aaron Hicks, him sitting last night and having Marlon Gonzalez play was the first step. Marlon Gonzalez is not doing anything to keep himself in the lineup. So I think Florial is going to get the call up. I know he's been called up a couple of times here and there in the past. Didn't really, you know, you know, open pop people's eyes open, but he's played well in AAA. The Yankees need, they need to do something. So he's going to get called up in terms of Peraza or Volpe. Those guys are shortstops and shortstops only. Kiner Falefa is not a huge issue on this team. And he's hit really well all of a sudden now in the last, uh, week or so he had all he's basically got all their rbis over the last <laughs> week and a half he had the two-run home run against boston he plays solid defense not gold glove defense but it's been an a exponential upgrade from what glaber was at shortstop last year and he's got 15 stolen bags on the year so he's been fine um if they do bring anybody else in the infield up a name i've been hearing a lot i heard coney bring it up on the broadcast last night is oswaldo cabrera a guy that can play nice. all around in the infield and if LeMahieu has to miss another couple games, maybe they retroactively put him on the IL, the 10-day IL, where he's out maybe through the rest of this week. Oswaldo Cabrera is a guy that can come up. He can play third. He can play second. Give some of those guys a day off. And he's a guy that's got really good pop uh, down in the minor leagues. You know, he's not a top prospect like Peraza or Volpe. But, you know, that is a guy the Yankees are going to go to. Um, unfortunately, if you, as much as you want to see Peraza, as much as you want to see Volpe, they're going to give a guy like Oswaldo Cabrera a shot before them. And the first guy that's going to get called up is Floreal. So 
Yeah. Well, I think L'Oreal already is announced. Oh, it is. They actually announced that. They announced like within the last hour or so. From we're recording this, uh, we started ten thirty on what day? Say Tuesday. Tuesday night. Tuesday night. It was like a. It was like nine o'clock, nine thirty range. They they tweeted something out that he's going to get called up. And to your point, it's it's about just shaking it up, bringing some energy into the clubhouse. And uh, one thing that I saw that is exciting to me: L'Oreal stealing over thirty bags in AAA right now. So he comes in with some juice, some energy. It takes just one moment sometimes to flip one game, and that one game flips the next game, and that's what it becomes. And I, I do look at September as a really big part for the Yankees too, and the rosters do expand, where you just get just get more guys in here to create some variance, right? Like we see, we know what Aaron Hicks is right now. He'll have a nice home run every once in a while. He's been looking like a mess in the outfield, which has been his most steady positive in his career, right? Even when he sucked at the dish. He was playing a good outfield. That's not the case right now. You got to mix it up. You got to do something. So when you expand that roster, you get some new blood in there, some new energy. That's what they need. They just need more healthy people to do stuff and get a little crazy with it. I I think it's coming and it's coming soon. I was surprised the Red Sox wasn't that because that could be a point where the Yankees can turn it around. Like, ah, just when you thought I was dead, Red Sox, boom, we just swept you. Right. And then, oh, we're back. It's all good. That didn't happen yet. We're waiting for it. Maybe a Florial call up will do something. And uh, in reality, Florial has only been called up. I think the longest stint he had was like a dozen, like not even a dozen games, right? Like yeah, 10 good. games of scattered play. Let's see what happens when this guy's out there for some consistent at-bats uh, to bring some energy. So good stuff. Let's move on to the New York Mets here, Pat, who are on a two-game slide, lost two in a row to the Braves, but still in general over the last month have been playing, playing awesome baseball. You know, it's a similar concept to the Yankees, obviously to a lesser extent because of how well they played getting beat by the Braves, the way they have the past two nights, it, it stings, it hurts, but you know that you just beat the Braves real bad in a five game set last week or a week and a half ago, whatever it was. So it doesn't hurt as bad. However, when the offense struggles and you score no runs, you score one run, it gets a little scary, especially when there are some holes in the lineup. It feels like, at points, this this lineup feels holeless, but now you look at it and you see um, McCann in there just being terrible. Some guy, uh, Marrero, was in the lineup tonight. He struck out a couple times. It was just an ugly night all around. Nobody hit well. When they did, Marte got a guy on in the, in the ninth double play. Like It just didn't go well for them right now. There's no panic. The exciting thing for the Mets, though, similar to Floreal, is Brett Beatty is getting called up. Third baseman, who's an expected high-level prospect like somebody who people have serious belief to be a legit major leaguer here gets the call up. And uh, that's another thing that can just bring some energy, bring some variance into this, into this lineup here and, and hopefully create some spark. So with the Mets, I'll ask you similarly, it's been all rainbows and butterflies for like three weeks now, maybe longer. Uh, but this two game skid, what do you have to see now in the next couple of days to, to stymie this and to get back on the right track? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm a little concerned. I'm concerned about the Mets. Um, and I'll answer your question right, right away here and then go into it. What's going to help is the fact that they've got Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom on the mound the next two days. What's going to win them a World Series in October? Thank you. What's going to win them a World Series in October is what is going to get them off this, you know, two-game skid where they've looked absolutely non-competitive against Atlanta. And the big reasons are Carlos Carrasco leaves before the third inning after the rain delay. He's out a month and a half. You know, you make the argument, should he have been pitching back in that game? I, you know, I don't think you can, you know, foresee an injury happening after a rain delay. 
Um, you know, considering it was only two innings, you expect him to go back out there. But then Taiwan Walker goes down the next night. Uh, back spasms shouldn't be as long. I would presume he maybe misses a start or two. Uh, but that's that's concerning. Two starting pitchers down two straight nights. And as great as the Mets were, you know, what what they win? 17 out of 19, a stretch where they went yeah, from 58 and, 58 and 37 to 75 and 40. Yeah, so you hit it right on the mark there, 17 and 3. And still, Atlanta's right on their heels. Three and a half game lead, four in the loss column. You know, the Yankees, we talk about, I, I'm not worried with the Yankees. Not so much because of how dog shit they've been, and they've been so bad, but it's because they got off to such a huge cushion that even though that division lead is now down to eight games, I'm still not worried. It would it would have to take them continuing to play like this for another two weeks to actually be you know severely worried about the division. You know, if they get swept by Toronto, maybe even quicker than that. But still, you know, I'm, I'm assuming they're not going to go out and get swept. Um, but with the Mets, it's the fact that they were playing incredible baseball, and now all of a sudden you lose two games in a row to the Braves, and that division lead was at 10.5, down to a half. Then you take four out of five. You dominate them thoroughly in New York last weekend, and now it's back down to 3.5 and again. And not even that, you've had two starting pitchers go down in two straight nights. Uh, Guillaume, who has been you know just below gold glove caliber defense wherever he's played this year and has been a solid singles and get on guy base for you all year, he's hurt. You're going back to James McCann behind the dish, which I thought has been a mistake the entire year. I wanted Francisco Alvarez up. And, you know, now the Braves are continuing. They've won eight in a row. They're on just as much of a heater as the Mets are. And this division lead is three and a half games. And as great as the feelings were for the New York Mets over the last three weeks, where it was the exact opposite for the Yankees, I have way more concern for the Mets than I do, New- than I do the Yankees. Because if you lose that division lead, you're talking about having to play in the first round and anything can happen there. Even though, again, you'd probably have Scherzer DeGrom go on one, two. So you have confidence any team you're going to play. But I mean, man, you know, things can fall off the tracks real quick. We saw with the Yankees and now here we are delayed, uh, you know, delayed uh, response two weeks later from the Mets. You can kind of see it happening right before your eyes. So, yeah, I'm concerned with the Mets. But again, how do they get back on track? How do you salvage this series? Scherzer and DeGrom have to go out and give you Scherzer and DeGrom A-plus stuff. They've got to go out and deliver gems. And even if you only take one of these next two, you know, that lead's going to stay at three and a half. If you take two in a row and you split, it's going to feel like the Mets are right back. Yeah, I'm going to go back, Pat. I'm going to go back in time for you and I here. I think this was – it could have been my freshman year, so you might have not been there, but an old Dean (laughs) Glussism. You ready for this? Not to make you uh, frustrated on a Tuesday night here, but – he had this crazy uh, thing. It was hold the rope. Was that was that when you were there? Or was that the year before you? I think it might have been the year. I'm before. sure that among thirty other stupid things. Yeah, exactly. Hold the rope, right? Like hold the rope for your teammate. Whatever you got to hold the rope. Blah blah blah. You get you get the point. Hold the rope. And it felt like with the Carrasco and Taiwan Walker injury that those two guys who pitched really well this year were just holding the rope. They were holding on for dear life. Scherzer and Degrom come back and are are back, and now they have the rope. And all of a sudden, Carrasco and Taiwan Walker just just fall back and die. Like they just let go of the rope. Like, Oh, thank God you guys held it for a little bit there. So they're out <laughs> and it hurts. And, and Bassett's there too. Bassett's been holding all along. Uh, but that's what it felt like, right? Those two guys go down as soon as Degrom and uh, Scherzer get back and are really kicking. And it's like, of course, right? Like you can't have all the nice things at once here. Mets fans. As soon as you take four out of five from the Braves, they haven't lost since they've won eight in a row. 
They're right back. We have two more with the Braves here, and then four with the Phillies, two with the Yankees. That's a big week coming up. Big week coming up. And again, now, people wanted to downplay the Subway Series. And when I say people, I mean Yankee fans because Mets fans were hyped about it. This next one coming up in a, in a week and a half here or whatever, a week from now, it's big for both teams. It's going to be yeah. very big, and the energy is going to be awesome. And we do have scheduled right now Scherzer and DeGrom on the mound for the Mets. So it should be very exciting. Um, so it, it was just interesting how that broke down here, and I'm hoping Carrasco and, and Walker are back you know, soon enough. We shall see, obviously. Um, but but to your point here, with this with this offense, Diorme has been such a steadying force. Now Beatty comes in. That could be a move that works out in their favor, bringing the energy, the whole nine like we talked about. I want to ask you, is there a world where if the Beatty thing goes well, that that makes them more likely in September to pull the Alvarez card? If Steve Cohen is the guy who he says he is, who's all about winning, all about taking the risks and all that stuff. If the Beatty thing goes well, does that make it more likely, Pat, for them to pull the Alvarez trigger? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think that shows faith and trust in the the scouting department, in the minor league system, in your farm system, that you've got guys that have been raking in the minor leagues. Brett Beatty has been raked all year in AA. He's only played a handful of games in AAA. Um, hasn't had, hasn't hit a home run, but I mean, he's hitting in a short stint in six games, he's hitting 364 with an 825 OPS. So the kid can rake and that's a left-handed bat too. I I feel like you can never have too many left-handers in your lineup. So that gives you another option. He's going to be, you know, a a downside defensively compared to the guys they throw out there. But I mean, you know, if it's Devin Marrero, who is solid defensively, but can't do shit at the plate versus Brett Beatty, you take Brett Beatty and you know, it's there's so much impatience when we talk about the sports talk radio world, the industry we're in, you bring it to the podcast world. We try to rationalize, but most of the time, nobody wants to hear rationalizations, you no. know, and nobody wants patience. You want these guys up. I wanted Francisco Alvarez up rationally and irrationally two months ago. Right. Uh, but if Brett Beatty comes up and he hits well, yes, it gives you faith. It gives you trust that you can go ahead and then bring up Francisco Alvarez. Um, even if he DH is a, a, half the games he plays in, you don't have to throw him back there behind the dish every day. You wouldn't anyway, especially at the catcher position. But yeah, if Beatty hits well, yeah, you go ahead and say, okay, that's our that's a top five prospect. Now, why don't we go ahead and call up the number one prospect here? Um, because I just don't see I don't see a spot ever where James McCann, Nito, or dare I say it, Patrick Mazika, or Oof. even Michael Perez, who had a nice game defensively last night as well, where those guys are ever giving you anything offensively October. And you have this prospect. You're in the championship window. It couldn't hurt you to call him up, even if it's for a, for a month in September. If he doesn't play well, okay. He's still got a chance to crack the opening day lineup next year. But, yeah, you got to go ahead and do it. And the Mets probably weren't calling Beatty up if Guillaume doesn't get hurt. So now they've been forced to pull this card. But if they're not forced to pull the Alvarez card, they still still should do it anyway, especially if Beatty goes ahead and, and plays well. Yeah, and, and the schedule here for the Mets is going to be big. So a tough week and a half coming up with two more at the Braves, Phillies, Yankees, like I mentioned. You get Colorado for four games. That could be a good one for them. You get the Dodgers for four at, or three at home, which, you know, you got to take you got to take two there, really. You really want two. If you get one, you'll live because after that, it's Washington, Pittsburgh, Miami, Chicago, Pittsburgh. Four yeah, you got to get fat there. That's where you get fat again. And you know what, like, it's been tough. The Braves and Phillies are keeping the pressure on because the Phillies are playing good baseball too. They've won seven out of 10. 
So this is not a time to take the foot off the gas. It's a time to to put it down even harder and try to try to salvage what you can in the next week and a half. And then, like you said, get fat towards the end of the season here. So it's not a, a panic button in, in regards to like their playoff chances. I think you feel good about that with the schedule that's on for the rest of the season. However, you, you need to iron some things out here to start feeling good again. And it's so damn crazy that if we had this conversation, Pat, if we recorded this on Sunday, we would have said the complete, we would have had the complete opposite conversation. And that's what it is tough to podcast about baseball sometimes because if you're not talking about it every day, you're not hitting the pulse, right? Like if tomorrow Scherzer goes out and gives up one run over eight innings and they win five to one, what conversation are we having tomorrow night, right? So there's a reason to to be comfortable. There's a reason to be uh, uh, very cautious and a reason to be you know keened in on on what happens over the next week and a half. So it's a weird, fickle thing, this baseball game, man. That's baseball, Susan? I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. Yeah, no, I mean, a long season, 162 games, but you just hit it perfectly, man. In the span of two days, all the feelings of, yeah, this team can win a World Series. This team will go to the World Series. Now with the Mets, all of a sudden, you're you're back on the edge of your seat. Like, holy shit, Atlanta has won eight in a row. This division leads down to three and a half, and now we've got some injuries here, and our starters have gone out before the the third inning ends uh, the last two nights. So yeah, long season, but things can change like that. Yeah. And everyone talks about how good the AL East is and you know, there's the, the floor is much higher, right? Like the Red Sox being in last at just one game under versus the nationals is a huge difference. But you look at the top of the AL East versus the top of the NL East top of the NL East got them right now. The Braves, Phillies and Mets are better than the Yankees, Rays and Jays. And that's just what it is. And that's tough. You know, you got to fight through that. That's a big part of, of how you make it in, in this league and make it into the playoffs and, and earn your spot. So it's going to be an interesting next couple of weeks, man. I'm excited for it, but I am, I am a little bit nervous, I'm a little bit nervous about the Metsies right now. But as I talked about with Cole uh, on air, actually um, overnight over the weekend. And again, on Twitter, like you needed Cole to be a stopper. And he put out a decent performance. He put out a solid, probably better than decent performance. They just didn't get the win. Yeah, one hundred uh, run. He was phenomenal. Yeah, he was he was great. They just didn't get the win, so kind of didn't it didn't land as strong, I guess here. But Scherzer and Degrom have proven nothing else but being stoppers consistently. When they are out there, they've been lights fucking out. So you you just assume that that's the thing. It's going to continue, and that might mean we're playing a one nothing game tomorrow. Might not go in the Mets' favor. But you trust that Scherzer and DeGrom are coming out there and putting up zeros inning after inning, and, and then you see what happens from there. So I don't know if you have anything else to add on the Metsies. No, go. I mean, I'm good. You, know, you, the, the, you should feel good even with the last two days. As, as You know, you should be nervous because the right. Braves are right there again. They've won hey. eight in a row. They're peaking in the middle of August, and they're going to make this a race come September. Uh, where you thought maybe, you know, in May you thought it was over, and then after you took four out of five, you thought it was over. So now you're nervous, but you should feel good that you've got Max and Jake the next two days. Yeah, and the Braves have been looking scary. The last two days have been scary. But if you take these next two, you come out of the last uh, two weeks here, whatever, week and a half, I guess, um, with that series five and four, and you win, what is it, four, two, six, six out of the out of the nine, <sighs> you're not asking for much more than that. So the next two days are very, very huge for the Mets. Um, but yeah, that's it. Baseball talk right there. Subway sports talk, Pete Kennedy, Pat Boyle. Let's talk football here for five or 10 minutes here, Pat. Wet the pit on the jets and the giants. Just get a little feeler out for our, uh, preseason 
vibes, what we're thinking about this team, and what I want to go to first, just so we have it in the back of our head. We have the Jets over-under set at 5.5, the Giants set at 7, according to Sharp Football Analysis. Pat, this is based off of uh, uh, strength of schedule, based off Vegas win totals. It's not based off of last year's nothing or other. It's based off of, of what's expected for this year. The Giants have, at this point in time, the easiest schedule, according to Sharp Football Analysis, a guy and site who I trust a lot with what, how he breaks stuff down. So with that being said, when you had to point your optimism anywhere, obviously Becton's out for the year, Wilson's banged up for now. If you have to point your optimism in a direction towards the Jets or the Giants, which way are you taking that optimism? Uh, if I'm picking between one of the two, I don't or think either wanna, of them are going to... Yeah, if you want to say pessimism for both, I'll take that too. Well, not necessarily pessimism because you got to take into effect that these teams are, are they're not ready to be playoff contenders. Giants are in year one, once again, right? You've hit the reset button again, hopefully for the last time, but you have hit the reset button again on the Giants. So if there, you know, if there's any more opt, if there's optimism for the Giants, it's okay. Look for the future. Hopefully, Brian Dable is a good head coach, and Joe Shane knows what he's doing with the draft. You hope the draft picks pan out, which I loved. I think everybody loved for both teams, Thibodeau and Neal for the Giants, and the three that the Jets got, led by Sauce Gardner. Uh, but more optimism for the Jets. You know that. And a week ago, I'd be saying it's not even close. Now with the Zach Wilson injury, you know we had the surgery. It went as bad as well as they hoped. It is two to four weeks. I would say he's probably going to miss week one, and there's a chance he misses week two. Um, but there's still more optimism for the Jets. I, I, I love the the weapons they have on the team this year. Eli Moore coming off of a, a tremendous year. Corey Davis coming off a year where he struggled and was shut down for basically the last month. You know, if he's anything close to what they signed him for, he'll have a bounce back year. And then, you know, another first-round draft pick in Garrett Wilson. Plus, I love that they brought in C.J. Uzama after the year he had with Cincinnati. Um, and you know, he's a tough as tough as shit guy. Cause he basically tried to play through an injury in the super bowl. Um, so, you know, I, I think Zach's ceiling could be high. Uh, I think his floor is also pretty low though. Um, and obviously he had a, you know, rough rookie season last year. The second half was much, much better than the first. Uh, but they've got a, you know, the, the first half of the schedule for the jets is grueling, right? They're playing probably out of the first nine games, seven of those teams are probably going to make the playoffs. So they've got a, they got a tough start to the year. And now that Wilson's out for the first one, if not two games, um, they were, they're probably going into the bye week at two and seven. But if there's optimism, it's just as well as they rebounded at the end of the year last year. And you had a lot of good feelings going into the off season. I think they have a chance to, you know, in the final eight games to go five and three, maybe even six and two, if, if, if Zach stays healthy, um, because the second half schedule was weak. And I think at that point, you know, you've had faced some adversity. I trust that Robert Sala has the locker room together and that he can keep the locker room together. Um, I think he's a good leader. I don't think it's like fucking Adam Gase in the years past where the whole thing just totally fell apart. So it's going to be rough in the beginning for the Jets, but you got to keep that faith because they have a rough second half schedule. And I think another year of letting this offense click together with Michael LaFleur, I do think you're talking about the Jets finishing the year well and maybe finishing 7-10. and 10 where, you know, we know the AFC stacked, but with the expanded playoffs, maybe that last team's getting in at nine and eight. So maybe you're talking about the Jets having a, you know, really nice finish to the year and staying in at least a contention for a playoff spot going into the final three weeks of the season. Uh, so definitely more optimism with them. I, I think it could get ugly for the Giants in year one, even though I trust Dayball and Shane. 
Um, you know, I've gotten to the point now, Pete, where, and I'll let you go here before we get into Daniel Jones. I've gotten to a point where I've, I've basically done a 180. I think he loses the starting job at some point, either because of health reasons or because of performance at some point in the year. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely get there. We'll definitely get to Daniel Jones in a second here. But to stick with the Jets, put out a poll on Twitter, and uh, I said, what's more, who's more likely to hit the over this year, Jets 5.5, Giants 7? And this was as I was looking at the schedule because I wanted to see kind of what people were thinking without knowing that strength of schedule number where the Giants have the easiest schedule in the NFL right now. And yet the over for Jets at 5.5 hit or people voted – at 77% more likely to hit than the Giants. And it makes sense to me. Uh, the Jets are on this weirdly luxurious spot, and luxurious is the wrong word, but they're in this, this, this blessing of a spot where wins is not the be-all, end-all. It's about field competitiveness, and it's a stupid thing to think about from like an actual team perspective. But from a fan's point, if they're covering spreads, if they're in games, you're going to start feeling much better about this team if they're playing competitive football. It sounds like such a lame duck way to look at the season, but it's 100% true. If Zach Wilson's making big throws, scoring touchdowns, like it's such a silly thing to say too. Like scoring touchdowns is so important in this league. And the Jets and Giants have been two of the worst teams in the league scoring, just putting points on the board. I've talked about the Giants for years now, just averaging 17 points a game and it's miserable and it sucks. And you have no hope unless if your defense plays out of its mind, you get some turnovers and you win you know, 17 to 14, it's ugly and it sucks, right? The Cowboys had 40 more touchdowns than the Giants last year. 40. There's only 17 games, Pat. That's a shit ton of touchdowns, right? <laughs> so like if, if Zach Wilson is leading scoring drives and they're scoring 20 plus points a game and they sneak a couple out and they win six or seven, you're going to feel really good about this team and what's going on. And, and you mentioned all those guys before. Another guy you got to mention is Brees Hall. Because Brees Hall and Michael Carter combined could be a real running back duo. That could be another weapon for them, another uh, ease of tension for Zach Wilson. So there's reasons to feel decent about what's going on with the Jets here. So I do totally agree with you. The flip side for the Giants is the dayball factor, right? Because if this offense looks good, other under Daniel Jones or Tyrod Taylor, dayball is going to rightfully so get a crap ton of credit here, and it has to do with a few things, right? You got Neil. You got um. Um, Andrew Thomas back again, right? You got two, two tackles. Now you got some other guys in the O line. It's still not the best group ever, but it's better. So now it's again, put up or shut up time. If you could put some points on the board, I don't care if the giants are, are two and, and five to start the year, but you can't have 10 point performances. You can't have 14 point performances, 13 points. That is right back to last year. You said we're at square one now again. You're 100% right. And if we're scoring less than 20 points a game, we're back to square zero. We're not even at square one because we're going to rip a Band-Aid off again with Daniel Jones and figure it out again next year. So as far as looking towards something positive, the Jets have something more positive, closer in their line of sight. Yeah, no, I, I mean, absolutely. I agree with you. I think there is a lot of potential um, I just think the fact that, you know, your starting quarterback is going to be hurt for the first one or two games. You hope it's not more than that. Um, you know, it's going to be a slow start. It's going to be a slow start, but maybe, you know, I would never say a, a slow start is good for the team. Um, but I think they really have to rely on the fact that they've got such a weak schedule on the second half 
Um, and I trust, I just, you know, maybe because he's bald and he looks like a badass motherfucker, I trust Salah more so than any coach they've had in the past. Um, but, yeah. you know, he was spoken so highly with San Francisco. He had tremendous, led tremendous um, defenses with the 49ers. I just, I trust the future of the Jets more so than I think I have in the last five, six years. And, and the Jets do also have uh, some guys on defense now, right? Like Carl Lawson's going to be back. They do have uh, Franklin Myers, who had a year last year. Um, uh, CJ Mosley's in the lineup again and healthy, right? Like there's another reason to believe that the Jets defense can be pretty good. And if that's the case, and Sauce Gardner's making some plays or shutting people down, and, and all of a sudden it's like, wow, look at this. The Jets, sneaky, sneaky. They don't and have the my... pressure of the playoffs. Yeah, I was going to say yeah. that was my favorite the draft sauce Gardner, and that was the biggest area of improvement for the defense was the secondary because it was fucking awful putrid trying to watch that secondary cover people last year so i, I think sauce Gardner is going to be a stud um and that and the fact that they added jordan whitehead you know i think the secondary is going to be a lot better so the defense is the you know as much as we talk about the offense and the weapons and zach wilson the defense was what needed the most improvement because they were god awful last year and for defensive coach robert sala that needs to get cleaned up, and I think it will because I think the secondary is going to be much better. Yeah, I mean, think about the front. Carl Lawson, Quinnen Williams, Solomon Thomas, Jonathan Franklin Myers, right? And then you get C.J. Mosley healthy. You get, you know, Quincy Williams, all right. Quan Alexander, we'll see what they can get out of him. Like, those are dudes. We got some dudes here for the Jets defense, and, and they have a chance to be a real group, and, and we'll see. And I, I do think, though, the fact that they don't have the playoff pressure is important. It's important for them. They're not in a place where... You know, like the Patriots made the playoffs last year. The Patriots, if they don't make the playoffs this year, it's a huge disappointment. If the Jets are even in the graphic on ESPN in week 12 that they're in the hunt, that's a win of a season. That means that season went about as good as it can, right? And you're going to be frustrated week to week when they leave seven points on the board and lose or Zach Wilson throws a pick and they lose. But again, it comes down to can Zach Wilson put points on the board and can this defense make plays? I think there's a chance that can happen. So it is kind of exciting. Let's talk about Daniel Jones specifically here, though, Pat, because I know you have takes. I've had takes for years now on this guy, and it's frustrating because you can cut up Daniel Jones highlights and show somebody who's never watched him before and say, yo, this guy's good, right? And they're like, yeah, it looks great. Good deep ball. Guy can run. Yeah, got some zip when he, when he steps into it, right? But it's everything else that's been so damn frustrating for him. Now, with Tyrod Taylor as his backup, and Daniel Jones in year four, never quite hitting stride, except for when he fell over the 10-yard line. Like, that pressure pressure can mount. That pressure can become very real. And I want to say this right now. If Daniel Jones can't handle the pressure of Tyrod Taylor as his backup, and he grumbles, sayonara. You could have kicked him to the curb last year if you really wanted to. You could have drafted a quarterback if you really wanted to. They didn't. So it's time. So what do you think now about his prospects, about his first two to six or eight weeks, and how you see, how do you see it's going to play out? Yeah, well, I, I don't think it's going to play out well. I don't. You know, for the longest time, the longest time, I was a Daniel Jones defender. You know it. Goddamn Chant Lugian knows it. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it was always, okay, well, if he had the right coach, right? He had Pat Shermer his rookie year. Pat Shermer wasn't a great coach. We good offensive mind. That was the best year he had. Daniel Jones, 24 touchdowns. Look, the ceiling looked high. The future looked bright. Um, and now, you know, you'd say Joe Judge and the offense they had with 
uh, with the clapper, Garrett, you know, screwed him up. And now it's his third offense in the last four years. At some point, the excuses have to be, you know, he's got to overcome the excuses. And a lot quarter quarterbacks with a lot less have done more so far than Daniel Jones has in the last couple of years. You know, you can make the excuse. Kenny Galladay can't catch a damn ball. And what do they have a number one wide out if he can't do anything? Well, maybe a lot of that is the fact that he hasn't had an actual quarterback that can that can consistently deliver him the ball in traffic and get him opportunities. Kenny Galladay's been dog shit, but still, it's you know can't just place all the blame elsewhere. Daniel Jones has to take that and rise above it. Joe Burrow is the perfect example. You know, I'm not asking Daniel Jones to be Joe Burrow, but Joe Burrow had the worst offensive line in football last year and made it to the Super Bowl. And yes, they have great weapons, but you know, you as a quarterback. Yeah, it's maybe it's unfair all the pressure that's put on you, but you have to take that on your shoulders and you've got to rise above that. And Daniel Jones just has not been able to do that, whether it's a lack of weapons, whether it's guys, the receivers, Kadarius, Tony couldn't stay healthy last year. You know, he's quite I don't worry about his health, by the way, in the preseason. I think they are being super conservative with him. I don't even think they're giving the chance to put him out on the field in these first two preseason games and risk an injury because he is their most dangerous weapon and they need to have him healthy. So I think they are just basically I wouldn't say lying about an injury, but if it's like a sore, like, you know, like a sore hamstring, that soreness goes away in two days. I think they're, they're extending that now for these two weeks, basically that it's been, uh, then you've got some excitement in Wandale Robinson. So again, there is potential weapons there. I just, I don't think Daniel Jones has it. And the fact that the giants, you know, all around as a team are in year one of this rebuild, um, I, I think the fact it could get to the point where they get off to a rough start again, and it's ugly, and you're talking about maybe one in five Giants in the first six weeks. And this year, I think it's going to be different because I don't think, you know, we talk about the time, do teams tank, right? Uh, Miami Dolphins just had an entire tampering case, uh, you know, and, and sanctions put on them. Uh, the one thing that they didn't get caught on was tanking after Brian Flores said that he was paid to lose games. Um, so I, I don't think teams tank, and I don't think Brian Dable and Joe Shane, I think above all else, they want to establish a winning culture. So if it gets to the point where it's one and five in the quarterback play, you're asking yourself that question again, and you're pessimistic about it. I think it may just get to the point where they say, fuck it. We want to win some goddamn games here. And Tyrod Taylor is a guy that's a pro bowl quarterback in the past with Buffalo. He hasn't been able to stay healthy over the last couple of years. He's lost his starting job to very bright, young pro bowl caliber quarterbacks. Now the last couple of teams he was on most recently with Justin Herbert, the chargers. Um, so he's a guy that's on in the past when he's been on the field, he's competent. And if it gets to a point where Daniel Jones, where you finally have to admit as a Giants fan, he doesn't have it. He's not our quarterback. I, I think that there might be a, a scenario where they go to Tyrod Taylor and they say, we need to steady this ship because we're trying to build a winning culture here. And it just, for whatever reason, with Daniel Jones as the quarterback, we haven't had it. And as my buddy Steve Shazor, shout out Steve on Twitter, he pointed out to me, and I'm, I'm like, we all knew this already too, but he, he laid it out eloquently. You know, this GM, this coach, this front office has no, no ties to Daniel Jones, which makes it much easier to rip that Band-Aid off. My question yep. is when, right? Like my question is how soon can you do it and still feel good about your your preseason, right? Like if you're giving Daniel Jones all these first team reps all offseason leading up to it, maybe Tyrod doesn't need it as much as most quarterbacks would because he's a veteran, but how quickly you pull that trigger, rip that Band-Aid off, could speak poorly on, on your preparation as well. Cause right now I'm looking at this schedule here, Pat. So you tell me when you think something like this could happen through the first 10 weeks of the season, listen to some of the opponents, the giants have, they have the Titans, the Panthers, 
and Cowboys first three weeks, right? You know, one and a half, two winnable games there, we'll say, right? The Bears, Packers, Ravens, one winnable game. Jaguars, Seahawks, Texans, Lions. So in that first 10 weeks, you have the Titans, Panthers, Bears, Jaguars, Seahawks, Texans, and Lions. Those are teams that the Giants could, in reality, be favored to win. They could be favored to win, depending on how they compete with the Cowboys, how they compete with the Packers. They can be favored to beat the Jaguars, the Seahawks, the Texans, the Lions, etc. So when is the right point? Is it in those first 10 weeks at all? Or do you think this has to be a second half of the season thing? Because Daniel Jones deserves his one last leash, full leash to try to score some damn points for once in his career. Or is it is it worthwhile for the Giants to say, all right, week four, we got the Bears. We're 0-3. Daniel Jones sucks. Let's go beat the Bears with Tyrod Taylor. When, when does this happen in your eyes, Pat? If Daniel Jones is fully healthy and doesn't get injured and the Giants are off to a rough start, I'd say the, the, the earliest or, you know, I'd say a good spot to do that would be week seven at Jacksonville. I think that's a case where if after six games they're one and five, the offense looks uninspiring. If nothing else, just for the fact of, like I said, changing at the quarterback, looking for a spark, looking to try to build that winning culture, Tyrod Taylor would start against the Jacksonville Jaguars in week seven. Uh, because, yeah, the schedule – and that's when the schedule gets easy. And maybe that's the one thing Daniel Jones, you know, doesn't have. But that's not an excuse anymore. He doesn't have the start of a week schedule outside of playing the Chicago Bears. They're playing the Titans. Yeah, the Panthers aren't great, but they got off to a great start last year. I have more faith in Baker Mayfield than Sam Darnold. And there's an, you know, here's another if. If Christian McCaffrey stays healthy, their offense was pretty decent through the first three games. They were, what, 3-0? and so Carolina is not just going to be a, a gimme game. Like they're, if, they're, if, Ka- if Christian McCaffrey's healthy, he's a game changer. Um, so I can easily see the Giants starting off 0-3. I don't think they'd pull the plug, though, that early. But those defenses, defenses are pretty good. All right, the Panthers' pass rush was their, their calling card last year. Dallas's defense got much better last year, and they are a turnover machine uh, with digs. Chicago, that's the only thing they've got going for them somewhat is their defense. And if they're able to hold on to Roquan Smith, um, and then Packers, Super Bowl contender, Baltimore Ravens, they're going to have a big bounce back year. Uh, great defense, which was banged up all over the place last year. So if they're one and five, I think they may be looking for a change against Jacksonville and say, hey, we've got four, four winnable games in a row. Jaguars, Seahawks, Texans, Lions with a bye week in between. I think that change to Tyrod Taylor come, come, could come week six, if not by the bye week. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I, I agree with that. Seven, week seven feels like the earliest you can do it. You have to give DJ a chance to to just play it out, get get some rust out, and see what happens. You do have to give him a chance, yes, but as you said, they have no ties to him. And if the right. Giants aren't a playoff team this year, there's no shot they're bringing him back unless right. unless they go 6-11 and 11 and the defense gives up 50 points a game and the offense is, is a, right. a middle-to-top-tier yeah. offense. That's it. If they're losing shootouts, there's a different conversation to have. I just don't think any of us can fathom. No, you and I know that if they're losing games this year, it's probably because they're going to be scoring 17 points a game again. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, we'll see, I guess, what he can do there from a non-in-the-room person, like somebody who's not a part of the New York Giants. It's much easier for me to say this. I understand that it's not how football works. It's not how pro sports works. Playing Tyrod Taylor could hurt the team 
right? And now I don't want to act like Tyrod Taylor is a guaranteed winning record because he's not exactly that. Like he's not guaranteed to come in with this Giants team and and go four games above 500. He's not quite that guy though. He is very, very solid. Like if Tyrod comes in though and does have a little bit of a winning record after the one and six start and they end up at seven and and uh, and 10 or eight and nine or whatever it is, what, what are they doing next year? What are they doing? Are they going to stick with Tyrod Taylor? Because there's a bunch of quarterbacks in this draft coming up, Pat, and, and you could argue that the Giants need to be positioned well to get one of said quarterbacks. So is there a world where the Tyrod thing isn't the best idea? I don't know. I hate saying that because you want to win games. You want to be competitive. You want to put the best team out there. But that being said, could be a bite in the ass situation if Tyrod gives them the 11th pick instead of the third pick. That's true. And and to just go back to, I said most recently with Herbert and the Chargers, I know Tyrod Taylor spent half the season with, or most of the season with Houston last year and lost that job to Davis Mills. You know, that's the other way around where he came in as the starting quarterback. They were dog shit. Yeah, they're All terrible problems. Team. We know how bad Houston's been run the last couple of years, especially with the whole Deshaun Watson thing, which is now the Browns problem. Uh, but that was, a ro- that was a spot where you had a rookie quarterback and you have to say, okay, let's see what we have with the rookie. So right. Taylor, Tyrod Taylor, yeah, he didn't play well. Yeah, Houston's dog shit. That's the, now, now you have a different scenario. Now he's the guy where you've got a lame duck quarterback, and if you're, if you're not going to pay him next year, I, don't, I think Tyrod Taylor could – I don't think he's going to hurt this team for the future. He's 33. If he does well, he's a guy where you say he's the starter going into next year or he's competing for the starting job next year, um, but we don't have to pay him that much. We can give him another one-year deal, $7, 8000000 million dollars. Um, cause he's going to be 34. Um, so you're not going to have to pay him a ton. And if the year goes as I think it's going to go where the giants win four or five games, you're looking at a top five draft pick with a chance to trade up and try to get Bryce Young or CJ Stroud. And then Tyrod Taylor is once again, pushing the quarterback next year, only it's not going to be a, a fourth, fifth year lame duck QB. It's going to be your first round draft pick who you're now building your future around. So I think he could, I think he could help because I think he could buy himself another one year deal with a chance to push potentially a top five draft pick. Yeah. And shout out Tyrod Taylor, man. One of the most likable dudes in the NFL. Every time he's talking to the media, when he was on hard knocks, like this guy is just so likable. It makes sense that every time he's on a team with competency that they do decent. Cause he is, he's that guy. Like he is that leader. He can control the, the locker room and all that stuff. So shout out Tyrod. It's good to have him around and hopefully you know, maybe DJ can learn a thing or two, but I don't know. I don't know about all that. So I guess, I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see about that. Um, all right. So last thing here, last words, packs, we got to get running here soon. Give me one take NFL wide, not giants, not jets that you're thinking about. If you didn't already put your, your flag in the ground on this take that you're thinking about spiking that flag into the ground and putting all your chips into a basket. I know you did it last year at the Cardinals. I doubt it's going to be them again. But give me your, your one big take that you're thinking about going into this NFL season. Uh, it's the Las Vegas Raiders this year. They're going to win the AFC West, and I think they're playing in the AFC Championship game, and I think Derek Carr has an MVP caliber season if he's not an MVP finalist. Um, I think Devontae Adams is that damn good. Now, Aaron Rodgers is a Hall of Fame quarterback, and we know Devontae Adams caught some flack uh, for his words. You know, you go from one Hall of Famer to another. Derek Carr's not a Hall of Famer yet. He could be. If Devontae Adams, you know, again, the point is, yes, Aaron Rodgers is a Hall of Famer, but let's not pretend like Devontae Adams is not a top two wide receiver in football. He is. So he can make Derek Carr that much better. 
and they've got a top three tight end in the game in Darren Waller. Those weapons alone are great. Then you throw in the fact that Hunter Renfro was, was beast mode for them last year. If Josh Jacobs stays healthy, that gives them the, the run game element. And even then, I love Zamir White from Georgia. I love that draft pick. They added Kenyon Drake. They've got tons of running backs. I think Vegas' offense is in for a scary, scary year. Um, you know, it's again, it's can they stay disciplined on that offensive line? They move past all the adversity, all the bullshit with Gruden and Ruggs and all that other shit last year. Rich Bisaccia, talk about holding the rope. It was Bisaccia holding the rope. I think McDaniels as a head coach, he's always been a great offensive mind. Didn't work out his first time with Denver. Now he's had 11, 12, 13 years now since. I think he's ready. And I think that pass rush with Max Crosby and Chandler Jones is going to be incredible. I think Vegas is in to scare, to surprise everybody, much like I thought it was Arizona last year. And then we realize Kyler Murray is not a winner. Um, and also that Cliff Kingsbury is a second half dud. So I'm not going to, I'm, I'm fine that I threw that, that I threw that bullet out last year with the Cardinals. Cause I looked like a genius through the first eight weeks. And then they had the second half slide and got destroyed by the Rams. I'm taking my shot again this year. It's the Raiders. They're going to win the West Raiders right now, eight and a half over under only minus one thirty on the juice there, Pat. That sounds like you locked it in yesterday to me. I didn't, but I'm, I'm going to have to now. I'm going to have to now. I think they win. I think they win 11 or 12 games. And I think it's the fact that, yeah, the AFC West is loaded. They're all going to be beating up on each other. I don't think the chiefs are a super, they're a super bowl contender because they have Mahomes. I don't see him getting to the super bowl. I don't see him getting to the AFC championship game. The chargers are good. Yes. They're scary. They added the defense, Khalil Mack, JC Jackson. I don't trust Brandon Staley. I love the aggressiveness. To a certain degree, I think it's it has it cost them games last year, cost them a spot in the playoffs. Um, and then you look at Denver, and I just don't think Russell Wilson is the Russell Wilson that he was with Seattle, right? Russell Wilson's still good, but he's not great. And you're looking, I think you're looking at a division. We've got a bunch of good teams with some elite quarterbacks, but I think the weapon you gave Derek Carr with Devontae Adams takes them to another level, and I think they make themselves stand out above the rest. And I trust McDaniel's this year. That's also the big difference. Yeah, and there's a chance that all four of those teams have winning records. Let's be real, right? Like, if, if the Broncos are in last place with nine wins, like who's shocked? Who's shocked by that? Not me, right? Like, I, I'm looking at that eight and a half, too, now. I'm like, hey, what's up? What's up, Vegas? Like, eight and a half? All right, let's go. You just got to get a winning record here, nine and eight? Let's ride. Minus 130? That's great juice. I love it. I think that's a, a controversial team because people don't want to believe what they haven't seen. And even though the Raiders were good last year, they didn't get over the hump. And they haven't seen Derek Carr get over the hump. So it's hard for, for fans to comprehend a world where they're clicking on all cylinders and they're a playoff juggernaut. But I, I like I like to take. I'm going to go with my take here. And it's a team that I've been pulling for for years now. And a quarterback who I've been pulling for since he came into the league. The Baltimore Ravens, baby. They're currently at nine and a half on the over-under. I think everything went wrong last year for the Ravens. It's actually hysterical. When you think about it, they lost three starting running backs before the season started. They lost their entire defensive backfield unit basically throughout the season. Like everything that could have went wrong and Lamar missed a couple games and didn't run for a touchdown last year. What? We're talking about Lamar Jackson, unanimous MVP, electric quarterback that we have here fighting for a contract who will get paid at some point or another, especially if he doesn't get hurt again. I am putting my chips in the Baltimore Ravens basket they are a top-tier franchise for a reason. They've been so for a long time. And Lamar 
will rise again this year. Nine and a half, minus 160. I don't care. Take the VIG. I'm winning this because they're winning 11 games. They're winning the AFC North easily. Easily. I think the Ravens are primed for a huge year. I love that. Honestly, I, I, I love that as well. I agree with you. I think they're making a mistake not giving him his contract yet. Need they the better man. do it before the season starts. Otherwise, he's going to prove them wrong like Aaron Judge proved the Yankees wrong. So I agree with you there. I love the Ravens pick. And what you want to do is you want to back a player who's betting on himself. And Lamar is the epitome of betting on himself right now. He is, doesn't even have an agent, if I'm not mistaken, right? He's negotiating for himself. It's him and, it's him and his mom. Yeah, which, I mean, is maybe not the most uh, <laughs> wisest strategy when going into contract negotiations with professionals here, but it very well may work out because when he goes on the field, he's typically awesome. So I have great faith in the Ravens this year. Get the run game going again. He was who? Who was even their running back last year? Can we remember? Who was it? It was Mark. Was it Mark Ingram for a hot second? Yeah, they I brought to, him in. I gotta look it up now because it it was so bad. Because I remember last year, like I drafted Gus Edwards in a league after J.K. Dobbins gets hurt, and then Gus Edwards gets hurt, and then their next guy gets hurt. Like it was. Oh, Mark Jackson was their was their leading rusher. Yeah, Devonta, it was uh, Devonta Freeman and Latavius Murray. Yes, Devonta Freeman and Latavius Murray, who are both, you know, ancient in the world of running backs, who did their best work. They did what they could. They were they were okay enough, I guess. And and the Ravens won games. It's not like they were a terrible team last year. They were uh, eight and nine last year when everything went wrong. Yeah, we just need to and, get to ten or eleven wins here. Let's go. And it was Tyson Williams. And remember, they gave a handful of games to Le'Veon Bell. That's oh, how yeah. desperate they were at running back. They were they were desperate. It was bad. And let's be honest, like they had a glorified number three wide receiver playing their number one in uh in, in Hollywood, Hollywood Brown. Brown. So like I'm just saying, I'm trying to remember who who's even their receivers this year. Did they get much better? I know people want to get hyped up on Rashad Bateman. I'm not the biggest Bateman guy personally. Um well, they've got better. the steadying force. They've got the steadying force with one of the best tight ends in Mark Andrews. But yeah, then you're you know you're hoping Rashad Bateman can be a number one. Um, but then also you know I, I like Devin Duvernay. You know they've got a lot of they've got a lot of raw wide receivers. Bateman Duvernay. So we'll see if they can pan out. But the fact that the running back should be healthy this year, and should you've be. got Mark Andrews coming back off the monster season. Lamar's the steadying force. I'm not worried about the Ravens. I love the I love the ten win pick. Here we go. All right, Pat Boyle, any other last words? You're going to be on air a couple times over the next week. What do you got? That's true. By the time you're listening to this, it's probably too late unless you haven't uh, been keeping up with me. So I will be on the fan this Wednesday morning, the August 17th, 2 to 5 in for Sal. Uh, and then I'll be on national radio in for DA on the, uh, the morning show on CBS Sports Radio this Friday, the 19th, 6 to 10. So, How do, how do they listen to that, Pat? How do they hear you on the DA show on Friday morning? Free Odyssey app, baby. Download it, listen to it wherever you are. The free Odyssey app. That's a, I'm a company guy, so <laughs> I love it. Good stuff, Pat. Always killing it. I appreciate your time as always. I love talking sports with you, and we'll be doing it again more and more as more as football season gets here. It's exciting times. All right, absolutely, PD, and I appreciate you, brother, and you continue to do an amazing job with this podcast. It's not an easy world to get into, but I know that. You see that DraftKings sponsor in the bottom right corner? That's Petey <laughs> Kennedy holding the rope there and, and getting oh, in the world oh. of podcasting. And, yeah, who knew we would have used Dean Gluss's terms as many times as we have tonight? But 
you've done an amazing job with this, man. Keep killing it, and you're you're back in in the mix at the fans. So I wouldn't be surprised if maybe Pete Kennedy's doing a show not too far from now on WFAN. Don't don't count it out, baby. Hey, man, we'll see what happens. We're we're keeping our hopes up high. We're putting in the work, and we're we're uh, we're going with it, you know. And to use one more glossism to say goodbye to everybody, perhaps the smartest thing he ever said. Got to take advantage of your advantages. <laughs> got to do it. You got to do it. I don't know what that means exactly, but I do know what it means. The Giants got to do it. The Jets got to do it. The Mets and Yankees got to take advantage of their advantages and just win. That's it. That's all we got for today. Subway Sports Talk. I'm Pete Kennedy for Pat Boyle. Don't forget to uh, subscribe, rate, review on Apple Podcasts, app, Spotify. Uh, subscribe, hit the notifications bell on YouTube. Tell your friends. Hit us up. Online, social media. That's Subway Sports Talk. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Cheers.